Exodus 20, verse 8. This is the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now there's a lot in there, and that's what we talked about over the first three weeks, so go back and listen to the podcast. We won't catch you up on everything today. But what I would say is the big idea that we've said all series long is that God works when we rest. That God moves when we stop moving. It's his plan, it's his design, and it's for our good, it's for his glory. But I want you to look at something specific. Look at that last verse with me. It says, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Now, if you look closer at this word, if you look at the context in the Hebrew, this literally meant a day to be adored, to be filled with strength and fullness. And that's why it's called blessed, that he, he blessed the Sabbath day. He made it a day filled with strength. He made it a day to be adored. He made it a day of fullness of Rest. You see, Sabbath isn't just a law to be obeyed, it's a rest to be enjoyed. You get that? Sabbath isn't just a law to be obeyed, it's a rest to be enjoyed. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Now, how, how can we say that? How does it have all of that meaning? Well, we see it in the verse. Look at it, look at it again with me. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath. So anytime you see therefore in scripture, you want to ask, what is the therefore? therefore? Therefore, thank you, yeah. So what is the therefore, therefore? Well, we look back to creation. The Lord blessed the Sabbath because he took a Sabbath himself in creation. All right, we've talked about this a few times in the series. Uh, in creation, God didn't get worn out because he made the Grand Canyon, Right? He, he didn't start making the, the bigger sights and scenes in our world and think, man, I'm tired. I need to stop and rest. No, we, we see in Scripture God doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't take naps. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need that. So he didn't need to rest, but he rested anyway so that, therefore, he could bless the Sabbath. You see, when we have a good God who he takes a rest he immediately blesses that rest right? because he does it himself. And so the Sabbath didn't become a blessing because it was commanded to be one. The Sabbath became a blessing because God practiced it him, himself. And so there's a lot of meaning here, and it's, it's more than just a law to be obeyed. It's a day to be enjoyed. And when we realize that, we want to implement the Sabbath in our lives, Right? Not just to save us from exhaustion, it does that. Not just because we're supposed to and it made the top 10 in the Old Testament. It, it is in the, in the Ten Commandments. But even beyond that, that we're looking at a good God who he rested, who he stopped and looked at all of his work and stopped and said, this is good. This is very good. He was satisfied. He rest. He blessed the Sabbath, made it a full day, a day of enjoyment. And so we want to look at that and rest in the fullness of that enjoy. 
And so that's our, our, our goal today, and we see that just in, in the fourth commandment. So we're going to ask two brief questions. If you take notes, uh, you can write these down. This is where we're headed. The first question is, why don't we experience joyful rest? If it's, if it's such a full day, if it's commanded, if there's joy in it, if God blessed it, if he did it, why don't we experience joyful rest? The second question we're going to ask is, how do we experience joyful rest? So the first question, why don't we experience joyful rest? Well, there's lots of reasons that we don't have time to get into today, but, but one big one as I looked at the scriptures and I thought about our culture and lives was, was worry. Jesus talked about worry a lot. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25. In that passage following, we see Jesus explicitly say four times, don't worry. Why do you worry? Verse 26, verse 25 rather, do not worry about your life. Verse 28, why do you worry? Verse 31, do not worry. Verse 34, therefore, do not worry. The Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon uh, of all of history, included a passage on worry, and Jesus thought it was really important, so he said explicitly four times, don't worry. Why would you ever worry? Another uh, gospel says worrying doesn't add a single hour to your life. Jesus made it really clear that worry is our enemy, that worry is, it can be sin, that we don't go into worry, that we, he wants us to go into into rest. And as we look at worry, and even as we look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, really the root of worry is this. It's assuming you care more and know better than God. Right? I mean, just think about your life, that when you worry, you're assuming that you, you care more and that you, you know better than God. Right? Whatever you worry about, that, that when you're in your financial stress, and you begin to sit at home and get lost and worry about that. There's an assumption being made that if I spend more time thinking about this and wrestling with this, that something will change, right? And that maybe God doesn't care, so I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'm going to talk to myself about it, and that's, that's worry. And we're assuming, God, you must not care about this, so, so we're not going to pray about it. You must not know better and have a better plan, so we're not going to go to you about it. We're instead going to internally, just with ourselves, we're going to, to worry. Listen, moms, how many times do we, we worry about our kids? We worry, are they going to get into a good school? We worry, are they going to grow up to be a heathen or listen to what I said? We worry about their their sleep patterns. We worry about what they're eating. We worry about their friends at school. We worry, we worry, we worry. And can I submit to you that when we do that and when we get lost in that, that worry only involves you. It doesn't involve God. And we're making the assumption and getting caught in that trap of making the assumption that, man, how could anybody care more than me about my kids? How could any, anybody know better than me about my kids? And so I have to spend this time worrying about it, Tim. I have to fret over it because if I don't, who will? Well, the answer to all of that is God. That God cares for your kids, the ones that are up on this stage, the ones that are in this room, the ones that are in kids' ministry. God cares about those kids more than you can possibly imagine. God knows better for those kids more than you can possibly think. 
And so when we worry, we're forgetting that, setting that to the side, and we're saying, it's just, God, it's just me. It's just up to me. And maybe you don't know, and maybe you don't care. And at some point, we have to relinquish that worry. And Jesus says it emphatically four times, don't worry. Why would you worry? Therefore, don't worry. Listen, we can do that with our kids. We can do that with our vocational life, our finances, our relationships. We can do that with everything. And in that, we're saying we care more, we know better. And when we relinquish that, we can leave the worry behind and we can actually experience rest. There's a guy named Harvey Turner. He's a pastor in uh, Nevada. We actually went to a conference uh, last year at his church. And he says this, uh, just a really great quote about worry. He says, worry is praying to yourself. You think about that? Worry is praying. It's a conversation, but it's just with you. You're just going through all the possible scenarios and all the things that could go wrong and all the insecurities that you have, and you're speaking those things, maybe not even verbally, but internally, and you're, you're praying to yourself, and you're not involving God in that. And listen, that is an enemy of joyful rest. Jesus says this doesn't add a single hour to our lives. Like when he says that, what's he saying? It's pointless. It's pointless. It doesn't add a single hour to your life. So listen, why are we so drawn to something that we know is pointless? Because right? like, I just went through all that with you, and maybe you thought about, yeah, I guess I do worry, and I guess I do maybe think I care more than God, and maybe I don't say that, but I guess I do those things. Why do we keep going back to that? Why will later today we'll worry about whether somebody said something to us this morning or they didn't say something to us? Why will later this week we'll worry about our, our job and the promotion and the kids? And why will we keep doing that if it doesn't add a single hour to our life, if it's, if it's pointless? Well, it's, it's really like everything else in life, right? I mean, if you think about it, some of you who have kids, if, if you tell the kids, hey, hey, this pot on the stove, it's really hot, don't touch it, what do they do? <laughs> I mean, they, they try with all their might to maybe get close to it and maybe kind of touch it. Why? Because all of us, even when we're kids, have a heart of rebellion. That even when God's saying like, hey, this isn't for you, this isn't good for you, worry doesn't add a single hour to your life, we're like, yeah, but I just, I want to touch it. I mean, we're like Gollum with the ring, right? We're just, we're just drawn to it because God says, hey, hey, don't worry, it's pointless, gives us all the reasons why, explicitly says four times, and one of the most important sermons we've ever heard in our lives, Sermon on the Mount, but we still gravitate towards, towards worry. And so listen, if we're ever going to experience joyful rest, we have to acknowledge there's an enemy of rest, an enemy of joyful rest, and it's, it's worry. And Jesus addresses that. We need to address that. I was looking at some studies this week of specifically teenagers, and they talked about and did surveys on, like, what's the, what's the biggest thing that inhibits you in your life as a teenager? What's the biggest thing you struggle with as a teenager? And you might expect, like, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, Right? You might expect some of those things, like there's a lot of peer pressure and, and all those things come about, but in most studies that I saw and that I read, it wasn't sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know what it was? 
stress for teenagers, right? And some of you are thinking, like, what do teenagers have to be stressed about, right? Like, they don't have a job. They get provided for, right? What do they have to be stressed about? Listen, it's creeping into our, our teenagers, into our, our children. And again, as we've talked about through the series, we won't rehash it all today. But in our culture, that actually shouldn't surprise us, should it? I mean, with all of our devices, with all of our social media, with all of our news and information, it shouldn't surprise us that our kids are now saying, hey, here's the biggest thing in my life that, we're, that, that I struggle with. It's stress. And listen, again, as parents, we have to look in the mirror on that. Like, where are they learning that? Are, are they getting stressed at 15 and putting that on a survey as the most difficult struggle because at home everybody's peaceful and experiencing joyful rest? No. They see mom and dad do that. They see us come home from work and bring work home and work anywhere because we we can. And they see us talk about things and and fight about things. and, And they see us looking at our phone and have it fixated in front of our face every minute of every day. And so we're raising up a generation that's stressed and that's that's worried. And so we have to look at that. If we're going to have joyful rest, we have to realize there's an enemy and it's affecting our generations. Listen, it is destroying our culture. And so as the church, we have to stop back, step back rather and say, are we modeling joyful rest to our kids? Are we modeling a trust that says, God, you care more than I ever could. You know better than I ever could. And so I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to stress. I'm not going to grab everything that comes on the conveyor belt. I'm going to leave some of those strawberries behind, and I'm only going to pick up a few. And they're going to be what you tell me to pick up, and I'm going to prioritize my life around you, and that we would model that not just to our kids, but to our friends and to our neighbors and to an onlooking world, that they might experience joyful rest instead of worry. Now, all that being said, will there still be times of worry? Yes. And you should fight it, and you should go to God in prayer. Like Philippians talks about that. Like, don't be anxious, but with everything in prayer and supplication, go to God, right? So we should fight worry to experience joyful rest, but I know as we leave here, some of you, worry is still going to pop up. It's going to pop up in my life. It's going to pop up in my home with my family. And so the question is, what do we do when it pops up? It's not going away. The conveyor belt is still going in life, right? Some of you are going to leave here. You got Mother's Day lunch. You got work this week. You got family in town. The things are going to still pop up that we can worry about. How do we deal with that? And that's our second question is how do we experience joyful rest even amidst things like worry? The first thing, again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We enjoy the presence of God. We enjoy the presence of God. Luke 10, 41 Jesus is talking to Martha. Maybe you've heard this story. Verse 41, it says this, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so Jesus is at a house with these two women, Mary and Martha. Mary is just sitting down at the feet of Jesus, enjoying his presence. Martha can't quit being busy. And Jesus' response isn't like, what a hard worker. 
I really go for it, Martha. Man, you are working overtime. Like, I'm so proud of your morality and your busyness. That's not what Jesus says. Instead, he, he calls her out and says, listen, Martha, Martha, right? You're troubled. You're anxious about so many things. Mary, she's looked at all those things. She's chosen the one good thing, the good portion. What is that good portion that she chose? It's being present with Jesus. Not doing things for Jesus all the time. Well, those things are good. But just being present with Jesus. That's where joyful rest starts, is enjoying the presence of God. Enjoying a relationship with Jesus. We see this throughout the New Testament. Jesus talked about it himself, John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. John 7, another illustration. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, Jesus is talking about his presence, that he gives us this joyful rest, not through following just a command or doing some good things, but through just enjoying him personally. And he uses those analogies of hunger, of thirst, because we can all relate to that, right? I mean, you think about on a hot day in Phoenix when you're, when you're thirsty, and maybe for a little while you can't find your water, but then you have a water. And it's your PBC water bottle. And it's got ice in it, and it's fantastic, right? And when you're thirsty, and you're not sure if you can find it, and then you find it, and you take a drink of that cold, crisp water, what happens? You're satisfied. Right? Maybe you say, ah, right? On a hot day, drinking a cold glass of water it brings satisfaction to your, to your soul. Think about on a Monday morning, 11.30, you're hungry, your stomach's growling, and you think, I forgot my lunch. Right? Case of the Mondays. I forgot my lunch. Man, how could I do that? This day's been so busy. It's off to a rough start. I got a case of the Mondays. And then your coworker comes alongside you, and an offer of provision from God gives you his sandwich. Right? And you take a bite of that sandwich, and it's Monday, and life's hard, and the kids are crazy, and you don't like your job, and you forgot your sandwich, but you got his sandwich, and you take a bite of that sandwich, what happens? You're satisfied. And so Jesus is using analogies of thirst, of hunger, to talk about something much greater, right? Not just physical worry about can I get something to drink, can I get something to eat, but eternal worry, about soul worry, that he says ultimately your thirst, your ultimate thirst, like the most meaningful thing that you could ever want in life, that comes through me, that you're satisfied in me, that you're hungry for some things in life, you want some things in life, you got ambitions, you got goals for your kids, for your job, all that stuff that you want, That's found in me, and that you come to me, you thirst and hunger for me, and you experience my presence, that you can step back way more than water, way more than a sandwich. You can step back and think, ah, Jesus. Just like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, you can be satisfied just with his presence, and the worry can drift, and the rest can, can grow. The Bible speaks of the presence of God like like this. You think of 
the Psalms when it says, taste and see that the Lord is good, that there's joy, there's satisfaction, there's pleasure in the presence of God, and it's better than food, and it's better than drink. It's living water. It's eternal. And when we experience joy like that, that's the good portion. That's the presence of God. It makes rest go away. I mean, worry go away, rather. And listen, I know some of us are in church, and, and all of you think about when you think about a, of church is, is things to do. Right? Maybe it's adding to your worry. Because you think about the, the law and the commands and all the things you're supposed to do for God, and you're never just with God in his presence, and you're missing out on that restful joy. You see what this could look like when you see kids. Right? I think about just this week, my, my kids were playing t-ball, and there's this one girl on the team, her name's Ella, and all the kids get to bat every inning, right? And they all get to run the bases every inning because it's t-ball, right? And so we get to see all the batters a lot, and they all get to get up there and give a big swing and get a hit. And this one little girl named Ella, every single time, not just this week, but this whole season, she literally gets up to the T, and every time it's the exact same, she's got a smile from ear to ear. And this is a little five-year-old girl, if you can picture and she's got this bat, and she's just smiling, and she's smiling, and she hits the ball, and then she always looks, like, surprised. Like, it's her birthday. Every time she hits the ball, and she hits the ball, and she's like, and then she just, and she, she smiles like that all the way to first base, and I swear she's done that every single bat of every single game. I, I think about my, my son, my five-year-old son, uh, earlier this week, we had our Rocky Point mission trip team over to our house for dinner because we want to celebrate missions and take steps in that, and some of you guys have heard about that, and we had them over for dinner because we want to celebrate. Love moved outside of Phoenix, and so we have them over for dinner, and we're, we're eating a nice dinner, hearing all their stories, and in the background, all you can hear is my five-year-old son singing, I'm still standing, dun, 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 dun. And he's just belting it out. And listen, he doesn't care that we have six people over. He doesn't know very well. He doesn't care that we're eating a meal. He just has this pure joy. It's like the joy that little girl had from, from home base to first base. It's like the little joy you have when you sing a song and you don't even care who's looking. That's just a glimmer. Listen, that's just a glimmer of the joy we have in Jesus. When we're in his presence and worry begins to fade, and fear begins to fade, and it's replaced by love, that you, you could be so joyful that you could sing a song, and, and a lot of us don't do this as adults, right? We, we sing songs, and we're like, are they thinking about what I'm singing? Do they hear me? That, you know, I don't know. Like, should I keep singing? Like, we don't have to do that when we're with Jesus. We get this inexpressible joy where the worry fades, where it's like we don't even know anybody else is at the t-ball game. We don't even know anybody else is in the living room with us. There's just that, that joy. That's the kind of joy you get from the good portion that Mary experienced when you experience the presence of God. That's what's available to you if you know Jesus. It's his presence. Many of us are picking up every strawberry on the conveyor belt but that one. Right? You go through your life and you're making sure you get everything done but have you spent time in the presence of God? Oh, I kind of read a verse. I, I said a quick prayer. Oh, I don't remember the last time I do that. I, I need to do that. Man, don't miss all these good portions of your day with Jesus 
for everything else that's being thrown at you every day. Those things are always going to be there. They're not going anywhere. You got to pick up the right ones. That's the presence of God. We need to enjoy the presence of God to experience his joyful rest. The second way we experience joyful rest is we enjoy the path of God. Psalms and Proverbs constantly paint this picture of a path. It's the idea that little decisions determine a destiny, that all of us are on a path, right? Psalm 1 talks about it, that blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And it goes on to say, but delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night. So, so blessed is the one who's not in this path of the wicked, but blessed is the one who's in a different path, the path of God, where his law, his promises are rooted. That's the path that, that we walk in, and, and we can enjoy that path. That God has laid out a path rooted in his promises. You see, many of us worry because we're on some other paths, that we're on some different conveyor belts altogether. Right, there's things being thrown at you in your vocational life and pressures of that. There's the stress of your financial life and that path. There's the conflict of your family life and that path. There's the insecurity of your social life. Yes, we even have stress and worry in our social lives. The things that are meant to give us joy give us worry. Like when we walk into a room and wonder, like, who's going to talk to me? Why did she say it that way? All those things. That's what your social life, your relational life is supposed to give you joy. It often gives us worry. And some of us are on all of these paths, and they never intersect the path of God. But blessed is the man who walks in the path of God. Happy is the man. Joyful is the man who walks in that path. There's joy in the, the presence of God, but also in the path of God. So, so how do we tap into that? Psalm 1, again, tells us we meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. We delight in God's promises, right? So you think of things like, and you should have these handy. You think of things throughout your day like this, that God pursues you with goodness and mercy, that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That great is your reward in heaven. That he will complete the good work he has begun in you. That he works all things together for your good. That nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. That's the path of God. Those are the path of God rooted in the promises of God that we have to meditate on day and night. That's the path we enjoy. That's the path that we walk in. I think of somebody in our church, their, their mom was in the hospital over the last couple of weeks because they didn't know what was wrong with her, and she was experiencing excruciating pain. And she had been to Africa over the last several months and, and caught a, a disease, hep A, and, and they were walking through that, and they were thinking, maybe it's more than hep A, and maybe it's the liver, and her numbers wouldn't come down. And so I went up, and another person from our church went up, and, and we prayed with her. And as we talked to her, I couldn't get it out of my mind that she understood this path, right? I mean, she's, she's in some difficult paths right now. She's in the hospital. She's out now, but at the time, she was in the hospital and experiencing pain and the worry of, I, I don't know exactly what this is. They have a lot of kids, if you know this family. And so she would just talk about her kids at home and wondering, like, are they going to be okay? And they really need me and, and all of these things. And she was, she was walking in a lot of paths. But there was a path that was bridging the gap of all those other paths that was the path of God. And you heard it in her voice when she talked. As we prayed with her, 
I mean, she was, during the prayer, she was just like, yes, Jesus, I know this Jesus. Help me, Jesus. She was echoing these prayers as she walks in this path, even though there's all these other paths obstructing her, making her worried. You see, many of you think about the path of God, and you're thinking, well, Tim, that sounds great when everything's going great. But the reality is, even when all these other chaotic paths intersect you, you can still have the path of God. Listen, it will go over all those other paths. And you can even be in the hospital bed and not know what's wrong with your health, and you can have joyful rest, as she did. I, I went home that night challenged to have joyful rest. Because if she can have it in the hospital with those kinds of things going on, with 11 kids that have a lot of needs and need help, as a mom, I mean, I, I can have rest. I can find time to, to walk in that path. I can remind myself of these promises from God every day and every night as I enjoy his path, no matter what journey I'm ultimately on. One simple way to do that, to practice that, is is to think in portions of your day. There's a book I read called Imperfect Pastor. Uh, it's more for pastors. You can get it. It, should, it would be helpful to you even. Uh, but he talks about this, that there's portions of every day. I think he may have got it from someone else, but he, he talks about that there's morning, there's noon, there's evening, and there's the watches of the night. So you have morning, noon, evening, and then the watches of the night. And these are all portions of your day. And so as we think about the path of God and meditating on God's promises every day, like that's not something we just do once a day. That's, that's, once a day, that's something we can do in different portions of our day. You can stop after your morning and you can take two minutes before your next meeting, before your lunch, and you can stop and you can rest and you can thank God in that portion. God, here's what you did today in my life. Here's what I need to confess to you today. Just take two minutes in your car ride, whatever the case may be, and take that portion and rest in the path of God. And then do that after noon, after evening, uh, as you go home to be with your kids, to be with your spouse, to be with your friends. You would take another assessment of your day. God, what do I need to confess? What am I thankful for? How have you already provided for me, and how can I, I rest in that? You see, really what those are is those are periods to our sentences throughout the day. That many of our lives are like one long run-on sentence. There's no comma. There's no break in the sentence. And if you've ever read a a long run-on sentence, you get tired just reading it, right? And many of us, that's our our lives. We're not just reading it. we're, We're living it. There's no period, right? That's not just good for grammar. That's good for life. You need to divide up your day in portions where you you rest in God and you enjoy the presence of God and the path of God and and insert some periods in your life. The other day, I was at my son's school, and they start out their day with a great period. They stretch to music, right? And it tells them what to do, and so the music comes on, and they're like, wiggle your fingers and hold them in the air, and I'm there volunteering, so you got to participate, right? And I'm wiggling my fingers, and then I'm stretching out, and I'm doing all these activities with these five-year-old kids. And I get done with that, and I told the teacher, like, can I borrow that CD? <laughs> like, that was fantastic. Because it's a period to my morning. It's stopping and enjoying the, the path that God has me on. God, I know you have good things for me today. I know your mercies are new today. I'm going to enjoy that path. What are those periods in your sentences? Throughout a day, throughout a week. That's enjoying the the path of God as we rest in him. And and so as we close today, what what path are you on? 
if it's only the vocational path, if it's only the financial path, if it's only the family path, you're going to be in rest. I mean, you're going to be in worry and anxiety and stress. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to be empty. But if you get on the path of God, if you enjoy his presence, then you can experience not just rest, but joyful rest. Because that is what God has called you into. And so last thing I would say, we're, we're closing down the series. I mean, if you don't get anything else, I, I would just remind you that God works when we rest. God moves when we stop moving. And so because of that, we need to trust him, not just for salvation, but also for Sabbath. And so just something really practical is take a Sabbath day. I know some of you have heard this week after week, and you still don't have that day figured out. Listen, combine it half a day, half a day. That's what we do. We have to do that. Figure out a day, but take a Sabbath day. And listen, don't call it a day off. Call it a Sabbath to yourself and to everybody else you know. And so they're like, hey, Tim, can we go do this? Or, hey, Sal, can we go do this? You don't say, no, that's my day off. You say, no, that's, I'm, I'm, that's my Sabbath. Because the reality is if we just call it our day off, we'll cheat, right? And we'll do a lot of other things that aren't setting it aside, that aren't surrendering it to God, that aren't experiencing joyful rest. And so take a Sabbath, call it that, and figure out what are you going to do on those days. Think about this whole series. Think about how you can set aside and surrender unto God and experience joyful, intentional rest. This is God's gift to you. Listen, moms, this is God's gift to you. Not just on Mother's Day. Find portions in your day. Dads, friends, family members, find these portions where you can take Sabbath and experience joyful rest. Think about what that is for you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you give us this gift of rest. I thank you that we've had the opportunity to, to dive into it for four weeks and really just be repetitive over and over. And because you call us to, in the fourth commandment, remind ourselves, remember the Sabbath, because so many things go on in life, so many things are getting thrown at us, so many things are getting on the conveyor belt that don't need to be there, we're picking up everything that comes across our way, and we need to remember the Sabbath intentionally and joyfully, help us to do that, even now as we sing, help us to experience a joyful rest in you, God, that you are a good God, and you love us, and you want us to rest, because you care for us, and you know what's best for us. Help us to do that even as we sing. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.